0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. As always, I am your host, Kevin Weber, up here in Michigan, where it's supposed to be 60-65 degrees at least, um, and we have freeze warnings out here the next few days over Mother's Day weekend. Wonderful. Anyway, this is also my birthday weekend. And I'm used to it being 75 to 80 degrees on my birthday and, you know, I can go to a baseball game or umpire baseball game if I choose. Or go golfing or something like that outside, but uh, it's going to be cold and nasty for the next few days. Hopefully uh, spring will return sometime soon. So I decided to do something a little different for this episode. Uh, I've uh, curated four particular interviews that we've had over the last six months or the six-month history of this podcast and uh, I put them together for you uh, for your listening pleasure. Maybe you've uh, you know heard parts of these interviews, maybe you haven't. I still think that there's a lot of value in all of them. We'll have uh, the interview I had with Tim Farwig and with uh, Matt Watowski who um, is trying to do his best to hang in there as far as being a minor league umpire. Um, hopefully you will get to do that sometime soon, right? He'd be going off to do that around this time. Also, i uh, have my interview with Kirk Weber and then uh, with Kirk Vanderlaan. So I'll play those for you and uh, and there'll be a little, you know, segues between the, the episodes and um, I think that you'll enjoy that and it'll be a little bit different than just listening to me talk the whole time. And then next week, I plan to come back with a regular episode um, and you know, have some topics like I normally do. I'll have my, uh, you know, umpire spotlight and uh, we can talk about some some rules. I'll, I'm, I'm trying to line up a particular guest if I can and uh, see what we can do as far as hopefully maybe getting back into baseball, for some of us anyway, in June. I see that the, um, the South Koreans are starting to play. I don't quite understand why, The umpires and the base coaches have to wear masks, but the players don't. That doesn't really make any sense to me, but whatever. I guess they have some reasoning behind it, but nonetheless, it's great that uh, they're playing some of those games and we get them in the early morning on ESPN too. I've been watching some of them. It's always interesting to watch Asian baseball. Um, It's very entertaining, but they have some quirks for the way that they play the game and the way that it's umpired and everything else. Um, it's strange that there's no fans there. They have their little cardboard cutouts. But, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Hey, man, we'd all take that right now, right? And actually, you know, I'll take cardboard cutouts in the stands anytime they want to put them there rather than some of the parents that uh, some of us have to deal with, right? So anyway, uh, I do believe that you'll like this episode and um, it'll take you it back to some times before the the you know stay at home orders and the and the pandemic um to when we were just worrying about baseball and in our next game and not everything else that's been going on of late so sit back and enjoy Well, Tim Farwig is joining us here on the Hammer, and uh, Tim is a very accomplished NCAA Division I umpire. Um, He's worked all kinds of levels in college baseball from junior college and NAIA, D2, D3, and currently works mainly Division I in the uh, Mid-American Conference, Big Ten, uh, American Conference, Horizon, Atlantic Ten. He's um, worked uh, conference tournaments at lower levels. Um, He's worked at the Mac tournament before, I believe, three NAIE World Series. Is that right, Tim?
1: Uh, actually, four.
0: Four. Okay, there we go. want to get that one in there. And he's also worked internationally in the uh, Pan-American games in Mexico and Panama. And he's an instructor at numerous camps throughout the Midwest. Um, I met him at the Brewstone Senior um, Umpire Camps. Um, and he's also a person that's done some charity work, which we'll get to a little bit later. So... Thank you for joining us. And um, I just uh, first question, I guess, is how did you get into umpiring, Tim?
1: Uh, Well, probably not really any different than anybody else. When my kids were in Little League, uh, it became very apparent that uh, there was a need for uh, the, the parents to volunteer an umpire. And I gravitated towards that as opposed to coaching. And started that when uh, my oldest son was six years old and just fell in love with being back in the game in that way and not being satisfied that doing six and seven and eight year olds uh, was going to be my ceiling. I basically started doing some research, uh, joined the high school association here in Indiana, and then basically started going to camps and basically just continued to move up. And that, that in, a, in a nutshell, is pretty much how I, I started umpiring.
0: Yeah, so no pro school for you. You just kind of started from the bottom and just kept working at it and moved yourself up. So
1: That is correct.
0: Yep, and there's some inspiration there for a lot of guys, I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you've worked with a variety of umpires over the years, high school level, all the way through college and also international. Um, so when you, so you've seen a lot of different guys, you know, speaking different languages and everything else, but when it comes right down to it, what do you think makes a good umpire no matter what language they speak or what they're doing?
1: Well, in my opinion, when, when you ask me a question like that, I don't look at it as it, it's a combination of a, of a lot of things. And sometimes it's more of off the field than it is on the field. Yes, I think a good umpire or a a good umpire is somebody who gets their calls right. uh, But they're very consistent. Um, They understand the rules. There's somebody who understands to know that that knows how to take care of business on the field. And I think that's that's a big part of it. But I think the bigger part of what makes somebody a good umpire is basically how they handle themselves off the field, with their partners, with their signers, uh, just in general. Because I think that's what makes or breaks people. It, it's funny, and this is a can this this story or this storyline is uh, constant throughout umpiring. That when you receive an assignment most umpires don't really care about where uh when what time it's who am i working with and i think that is the person who define. that's the that's the kind of umpire you want to be and to me that's what a good umpire is uh just somebody that you want to be with somebody that you want to work with
0: yep i definitely can uh, attest to that I, I i'm one of those guys that Look at who I'm working with too. Just like yeah, so, yeah, I
1: don't even accept the assignment. I go and look, and I who am yep, I working with? And yep. As if that's going to change whether I accept it or not. But that's yeah. what I really care about. <laughs>
0: then you deal with it later if you don't like who you're working with. I exactly. Guess. <laughs> and,
1: and and quite honestly, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I don't. I if there's a list, it's going to be very small of people that I wouldn't want to yes. work with. Um, and and quite honestly, it's usually not because of what they can do on the field. It's the it's the what you would call the cancer in a locker room, just people you just don't want to be around uh, after the game, before the game, uh, or if you're traveling with them. Uh, that's usually when the problems uh, happen and exist. OK, well, that's um, I think a very interesting answer. And
0: I think a lot of guys can relate to that. Well, one of the reasons why I, I had to come on to the show is um, I did a little feature a couple episodes ago on the the new stuff that they're doing with the 22nd rule and the NCAA. And you've had um, a little work this fall uh, trying to figure out what the NCAA might be uh, trying to have us do and working with the new timing uh, mechanisms. And um, what did you kind of discover this fall about this rule and, and what is your kind of take on it all?
1: Well, I think when it was first introduced uh, and I don't know exactly when it was announced, but when it was first announced, I think there was a lot of confusion because all that was announced was that this was the new rule. We didn't have any interpretations as to how it was going to be in not only enforced, but just understood, you know, uh, we were, we were taking wild guesses in some of the camps, uh, in late summer and early fall as to how this was going to happen. We even went so far as to, uh, Uh, test some new timers that are out on the market with our best guess as to what you know what is this how's this rule going to work and then fortunately uh, before a lot of the fall scrimmages uh, started um, and I'm actually looking at it right now on October 1st they the NCAA NCAA that is published interpretations and I believe the interpretations have clarified and made this rule and its enforcement much easier than we were ever thinking uh so long story short i was able to use those interpretations practice the uh timing uh guidelines within in real games and just get a good feel and idea of how this will work coming into the 2020 season do you anticipate there'll be any problems or you think
0: it'll be pretty smooth
1: no, in fact, of the, you know, and I, I probably, I would say, officially did it three times during three scrimmage games. Of all the opportunities that you're timing, which is basically now every pitch with somebody on, especially, that was more importantly what we were trying to test. We only exceeded the 22nd clock, I, I would say, a handful of, of times over those uh, three games. And part of it was these teams were still not practicing or emphasizing this yet. In fact, many coaches didn't even want to discuss it. They didn't want their kids even or players to even know that this rule existed. But what I found, and I think what most people will find, especially in the Midwest, this is not a problem. And usually these, these things are driven by other areas of the country. Uh, But if you apply the common sense approach to the guidelines that we've been given, I don't anticipate there being any issue this uh, this coming season. Well,
0: I certainly hope you're right, because we we have enough issues to deal with. We don't need something else. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And and I do, too. And and, uh, I I hopefully I, I hope for that as well. I I personally think. And I, I am fortunate I don't work a lot of two-man anymore. And I'm not saying that's my – that's not the fortunate part. But uh, I'm fortunate that I get to work in uh, multi-person uh, crews, three- and four-man. So there's obviously – trying to be attentive in a two-man crew is going to be yeah. very difficult with this rule. And I think that the box timers that are on the market specifically for baseball – are the only way you can go in in basically enforcing this rule and when i say enforcing this rule that i mean actually keeping time on every pitch with somebody on on base especially so
0: a stopwatch is not going to cut it and two matt
1: a stop absolutely not and i i think you're going to see it i think i think you're going to see a lot of watches on uh people that you don't usually see uh you know it's always been a kind of a a no-no that you don't wear a watch on the field. And I know that's kind of changed with some of the fitness watches here over the last couple of years, but I don't, if your attention is drawn with your eyes to something else other than what's in front of you, I, that's where I think the problems are going to be because things are going to be missed. I agree. Um, And the excuse of, well, what do you want the time? Or do you want me to watch this? That that's not going to fly. Um, and, and these timers are an investment. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, people have asked me, you know, how much are they? And, you know, I've told them and they just look at me like, well, that's crazy. Yet, I think these are the same people that will go out and buy a new chest yes. protector. Yep. Our, our new plate <laughs> shoes know? or whatever they're doing. Our new plate yep. shoes at the drop. You know, so to me, it's, a, it's an investment in your profession, uh, your craft. And I think it's about it. I think it's a wise uh, uh, investment.
0: Okay. Well, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to be getting myself one before the season starts. I'm not saying I want to spend my money on it, but <laughs> you kind of got to do it. So, right. right. So you've been umpiring for a good number of years now. And, um, think back to mm-hmm. when you first started to umpire either high school or in, in in collegiately as well. And there's been lots of changes, you know, whether the, the way that we umpire or the changes in, and the way baseball is, what are some of the things that maybe stand out to you as far as how things have changed since you first started doing this?
1: I think just some of the emphasis, different rule emphasis that have, that have changed since I've started collegiately. uh, Those have been the biggest changes. And a lot lot of them are about pace of play. Uh, You know, I've seen the hit by pitch basically come full circle and the rule changes. I, I think that's been a, Interesting uh, way to look at things. But I think the biggest thing that to me that I've seen is just the, the, the thirst for knowledge or understanding of mechanics and what you see now on social media and what different groups are putting out across the country and just seeing guys gravitate to that and wanting more and more and more I think, unfortunately, still at the high school association levels on down, that thirst for knowledge is not as great. Yeah. And I, I think that's unfortunate. And I can remember when I was really getting serious about umpiring uh, and not to not to make myself any older than I am, but the Internet was relatively <laughs> new. So, so finding things were very difficult. Uh and nowadays, you don't have to, to work very hard to find that information. And I think that's the biggest difference that I've seen, uh, along with the video. I mean, the video aspect of where potentially no matter what level you work now, whether it's, uh, you know, Little League uh, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds or Division One college, you have potentially are going to be on video somewhere, mm-hmm. somehow. And... I don't see that as a negative as much as I see that as a positive. If you're using that to, uh, to watch yourself, uh, to evaluate yourself, to make yourself better. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, those are to me, those are some of the biggest differences that I've seen, uh, since I've been, uh, when I first started. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, interesting. Um, A few years ago, um, or not too long ago, I don't think you started the umpire strong program, um, which Mm -hmm. is uh, something you're very passionate about. Can you um, let everybody know what that is and maybe how they might be able to get involved with that?
1: Sure. Back in 2016, I had the opportunity to work my first international tournament in Mexico and, uh, with trying not to get too deep and too long in the story here, uh, I was told by many people that had done international baseball that don't be surprised if you basically leave everything you take with the other umpires because most of them just don't have the ability to buy that equipment or have access to it. And so a lot of them rely on visiting umpires, leaving their, their equipment. Uh, the case in point, there was a umpire from uh, Columbia, who showed up with nothing. And one of the first things he did when he got there was to seek me out and basically say, can I borrow your equipment, basically when I worked the plate. And just as that time went on, it was roughly two weeks that I was there, just seeing what some of these umpires used and shared and just, just made me think, we're so what we have is so Mm -hmm. abundant. You know, I, I made the, the comment earlier, you know, those guys don't think twice about buying a new chest protector uh, or new plate shoes or whatever. Well, if they're replacing something that that equipment uh, is usually if it was like me, it just kept building up in the closet and I saw the need. And when I got back after that tournament, and talked to several people. They all shared the same thing as, yeah, I just got all this stuff sitting around doing nothing. And what we did pretty quick after I came back from that tournament was to, to just collect it all between three or four of us and sent it through different various channels, uh, very expensive channels <laughs> we found out uh, when, when you're FedExing to Mexico and to Panama. Yeah, to, exactly. To uh, Colombia. So, Uh, Different things like that. And that's where basically the Umpire Strong uh, campaign arose. And what what I've done since then is kind of used, whether it's here in Indiana, local association meetings to kind of talk about that uh, or the different camps we would use. You know, I use different camps that I might be working at as maybe a drop-off place uh for just used equipment stuff that guys don't have a need for anymore but still is good equipment and uh, our that has been the easiest thing to uh to do in the sense of collecting the equipment but the uh, dispersion has been the most difficult part and uh We've uh, gone, through a, gone through a few different sources, but uh, right now we work through a group called Umpires Without Borders in Chicago, and that has been a, a very uh, established and stable group uh, that works with a bunch of different groups internationally. And so basically, Umpire Strong is just kind of the collegiate arm for them to collect equipment uh, and like I said, I didn't want to make that a long story, but that, that's that, okay. It's that's a... kind of a, kind of in a nutshell, what's been going on. Uh, we've kind of changed the focus of having, you know, all these huge campaigns with money and, and websites and different things like that and kind of a back down and just kind of let word of mouth and a little bit of social media and just, you know, uh, th- those type of things just kind of spread the word and, and to continue to collect and, and and a lot of equipment has been collected. A lot of it has gone all over the world at this point, especially through the umpires without borders. Uh, so it's just, it's been a, it's to me that the most gratifying thing is when I get pictures back from where it's gone and you can say, you know, Hey, I remember that mask or, (laughs) uh, you see, uh, umpires in Mexico wearing CBUA hats, uh, Mm -hmm. which to them is like gold. And, uh, that I think giving them the opportunity to, uh, Especially down in Latin America, giving them the opportunity to do what they love to do with better equipment is just a very satisfying thing. So uh, I'll continue to do it as long as as people are willing to continue to donate equipment and uniforms.
0: Okay. And I, I believe you have a website or something, right, for that if somebody wants to check it out and maybe try to get involved or...
1: Well, like I said, the website we've kind of let that. Oh, you let uh, that go with kind of let, let that die because what I have found is social media works just as well anymore okay. nowadays. So, uh, Umpire Strong does have a Facebook page. Uh, we we do kind of use the moniker uh, Ump Strong. That's kind of our our little uh, nickname or slogan, if you will. But uh, basically, if you if you look up Umpire Strong on Facebook and message through that. Uh, you'll contact me and, and we can always find a way to get that equipment or let you know somewhere that might be a collection point somewhere okay. during the year. Great. Awesome. Well, that's all I've really got for you,
0: Tim. And I really appreciate you coming on and um, you know, you're my the first guest ever. So you have those <laughs> bragging rights for whatever that's worth. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> so. I will, I
1: will treat that as an honor and I appreciate you asking me to be on and uh I wish you well in the off season and wish everybody well as the, as the 2020 season is just around the corner.
0: Yeah. It'll be here before we know it for sure. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks.
1: All
2: right. Okay.
0: Hey everybody. We've got Matt Wachowski here. Uh, today with us, uh, soon to be professional umpire uh, this coming uh, spring and summer. And uh, he's on his way to uh, watch some umpires and talk to some umpires in Florida. I mean, he's from West Michigan like I am. But uh, where are you headed to right now, Matt?
2: I'm headed to Lake Myrtle Sports Complex down in Auburndale. I'm um, going to meet up with a couple minor league guys and kind of see how everything operates and
0: you know, kind of get the feel uh, preseason. Yep. So you're going to be getting some reps, reps in yourself? You're going to be working any games or anything down there.
2: Uh yep. So the majority of my schedule starts on March seventh, and then I'm working through the nineteenth, and then an um, emergency situation just kind of filling in. And is this the Russ needed. Matt stuff down
0: there? Okay. Yep. yep. This is. And you've been down there the last couple of years. How has that kind of helped you to develop <clears throat> as an umpire? Do you think?
2: You know, I think any time you can get out and uh, get reps in under your belt um, is beneficial. And just to see plays and getting yourself into some situations and uh, just that experience overall has uh, been pretty beneficial. And then it, it really helps, you know, when you get back home, and your full season starts up. Uh, you're kind of in mid-season form um, from the yes, get-go. So. That's awesome, dude. I would say it's definitely Do you think the a bit. How's
0: the level of competition there compared to up here in the Midwest that you usually see?
2: Uh, so a lot of the teams are from northern, uh, the northern region. Um, a lot of them are just coming down for spring break, trying to get the games in, just like umpires, you know, we want to see pitches. Before. A lot of the teams are uh, northern teams, and I'd say it's pretty similar. There's a lot of colleges from the local area that come down here and it's nice to kind of build that reputation up with them before the season starts. And then, you know, all
0: right, there you are.
2: What's that? I think it's all these concrete houses down here.
0: Yeah, maybe so. I think
2: it's all the concrete um, houses down here. (laughs) Tell
0: us how you kind of got into umpiring, you know, what made you start getting into umpiring?
2: You know, when I, uh, first started out, I, uh, kind of like a lot of the guys that get into it. Um, I started out the local little leagues. Um, I was always a player and it's just something I did to make a little extra cash during the summer and the passion for it just kind of you know grew on me and I really enjoyed the umpiring aspect of the game. and then I uh, after high school I went up to college and like most of us do we you know some of us uh, get out of the game. I was actually fortunate to play three years of club baseball and, um, I kind of hung up the cleats after that. And then I, uh, I ran into Bruce Stone, um, after working one of my little league games, uh, a summer, um, you know, during summer break. And we kind of hit it off a little bit and he's like, Hey, uh, you know, what did they pay in you? And I told him and he's like, Hey, if you're, if you're really serious about this, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit. And we kind of got to talking and it really took off from there. I, uh, I attended my first camp that next season and uh, I joined the West Michigan Umpires Association, the Grand Rapids Umpire Alliance. Um, and, you know, I just, it just kind of grew on me a little more. Um, I took it a little more seriously after that first training session. Um, you know, I worked two years in high school baseball before I really decided to, you know, step my game up and I attended as many camps and clinics as possible in the area. Um, I joined the CBUA in 2017, I believe it was 2017 and I, uh, received my first uh, collegiate game assignments from Bruce Stone. Um, I believe there are a couple of them were some JV, uh, local NAIA teams and some JUCO games. And, you know, I I kept maintaining the idea that I needed to get better every single day. Um, And I continued to go into a bunch of clinics. I think I've attended upwards of 15 clinics, you know, in the five, six years that I've been umpiring. And, uh, you know, I've always had that drive to get better. And then, you know, as opportunity comes along, I just kind of run with it. And, uh, I mean, it's all really worked itself out. I had the opportunity to work up in Alaska last summer. Um, I was up there for several weeks. Um, and, I th- you know, that whole experience was pretty surreal and pretty amazing, uh, being able to get to travel that far and see a new landscape that you'd never seen before. And then when I got back from there, um, I met up with John White. Bruce connected me with John White, who was the uh, basically the UIC for the Northwoods League. And uh, he extended an invite up. Out- for me to go out there and work, and I was jumping at the bit. You know, I talked to my wife, and uh, she really supported that decision. So I went and worked in the Northwoods League for the second half of the season. I was fortunate enough to get two two series in the postseason out there. And then as the season ended, John extended a scholarship opportunity out to me to attend one of the professional umpire schools, one of the two professional umpire schools, either the uh, minor league – Academy in Vero Beach or uh, Wendellstad Umpire School, and after talking to you know several of my mentors and you know close friends and guys that have been in the game, um, I made the decision to attend Wendellstad, and uh, it's you know it's been the greatest decision of my life other than marrying my wife. Really, I mean it's uh, it still really has not hit me at the fact that I'm going to be working professional baseball, um, but I'm you know I'm really happy for the opportunity yes it's, for sure know, i mean you certainly have that off. drive
0: i think um i think any good umpire whether you're just a really good little league umpire high school collegiate obviously professional you're always you're trying to get better and i think that's the thing that guys don't always realize that um you know yeah you've had some opportunities you've had a little bit of luck here and there um but you work really hard at it and no matter what you're always every game trying to get better you know um, that's the thing that I think that some guys, they kind of lose that along the way. and Then that's when you start regressing and, and maybe you get yourself out of the game. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, being a student in the game is probably the biggest, uh, the biggest factor in getting better each and every single day. You know, you have to be able to take constructive criticism from those that you trust and it's not always going to be something you want to hear. Sometimes they're going to tell you, you know, you're lazier than hell out there that day. And you just got to kind of, you know, take it as it is, you know, and make the adjustment, yes. appropriate adjustment. You got to kind of have that motor to, better yourself. to like,
0: keep going. And um, take the good and that the bad as things come. I mean, I think that's a tough thing for a lot of officials. I mean, we, we're talking, on prime, but anybody that's officiating is to, like, keep moving and, and have maintain it's a fine balance between maintaining your confidence and um, and also you know trying to get better and, and taking constructive criticism.
2: Absolutely, I think you gotta and another important thing is you gotta surround yourself with the you know the right minded people, the guys that want to push each other to get better and are willing to give you that constructive criticism because it's easy to be like yeah you know you did really well out there and just. You know, everybody just kind of goes on with their way and you're not really, you know, pushing each other to get better. Whereas, you know, if you surround yourself with the right group of people, the guys that are taking it seriously, um, everybody's going to get yeah. better from that opportunity. Yeah, you I
0: 100 percent agree. So, so you went down to Wendell Step. There was like 60 guys roughly down. How many guys were at Wendell Step for you?
2: No, there was. So there was 60 guys from both schools that attended the academy. There was one hundred and. Uh, it was just under 140 that attended Wendelstadt, and then I'm not yeah. exactly sure what the total number was at the academy. So
0: 30 guys from each. I think it was right around that same the, figure, like advanced thing to to try to get a job, right? And um and then there was 18 jobs, yep. like in the regular professional, you know, minor leagues there, um and then 14 others in something like kind of on standby, yep. that kind of thing. Is that what, how it worked? Well, the fourteen
2: others they're they're not on standby. They're still they're in the system and they're gonna be working in okay. the CPL, which is basically a, a collegiate summer league. And and they are in the minor league system. So as movement happens, you know, throughout the season, guys get released or like I mean, all the yeah. guys retiring in major league baseball, that's gonna create movement even prior to the season. So there's gonna be, you know, six or seven so they're kind that of open time. up for those they're guys that are in the CPL. Kind of like,
0: it's kind of like a triple A guy that's going up and down. They're kinda of like that. They're kind of moving in and out. For wherever they need
1: it. Yeah, okay. but
2: they're—I they, mean, once they like, once they're they're in, they're in. Okay, and then they'll call they'll call guys over from the reserves. So and obviously, bring them up into the CPL. Think,
0: Holy cow! <laughs> I was one of the eighteen guys that just got in straight away. You know, which is pretty pretty crazy. You know? Yeah, but r- you know,
2: yeah, like I, I going to school. I never really, you know, it was always my dream, and I was going to work as hard as I could and take everything in. And I just seeing yeah, a lot one of, of the, the guys, cause I was one of the older got, guys that
0: uh, went down to school. Uh, one of the jobs. And, do you think?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Probably two or three of us that are right around the same age. And, uh, that to me was kind of surreal when you're, you know, when you're almost 30 and you're competing a bunch of 18 to 22, 23 year olds, you know, you just kind of look at it a little bit differently and, uh, the the approach you take is a little bit different than some of those guys. You know, they're coming right out of college and high school and they're, you know, in peak shape. Whereas you you know, yeah. for me, a guy like my age, we you know, we really have to work at it to maintain ourselves and uh it was just kind of yeah, so, I'm a surreal sure experience to be selected in professional baseball. Yeah,
0: certainly benefited some of that, you know, too. Yeah. You know. Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. I don't see yeah. myself getting a job when I was 22 or
0: 21 years old. What know? kind of things did you learn through, um, you started at Little League, you did high school, you've done collegiate baseball, you've done a lot of high-level summer collegiate stuff. Um, what stuff seemed to stand out that benefited mm-hmm. you when you were in, in the pro school?
2: Um, A lot of the stuff that I learned was, reiterated and I think that goes along with just surrounding yourself with the right people um you know a lot of it's already been taught to me and instilled in me um just from attending some of the camps and talking to my some of my mentors um but the one thing that really stood out to me and when you you talk to a lot of these pro guys you uh a lot of the jobs aren't lost on the field you, you tend to lose your job off the field and how you carry yourself as a person. And it's more so about being a good person because once you get into professional baseball, a lot of the talent pool is right there. You know, it's all about the same. It's on par with one another. Um, Cause you're all taught the same way. So it's a matter of being a good person, being a cr- good crew guy, um, having your partner's backs in you know, tough situations and, uh, you know, having the courage mm-hmm. to make the calls when they, you yeah know, when
0: they happen. I definitely see that. What's something that you learned in pro school that you didn't necessarily anticipate learning that just like, yeah, that's kind of changed the way I umpire, you know, is there any, I'm sure there's maybe several things, but what's something that stands out? Um...
2: I would, you know, that's a pretty good question. Um, I would say the one thing that I really, you know, took away is, you you know, timing and proper positioning and self-evaluation. Those two things are going to be the biggest reasons why you get calls wrong. And, uh, you know, we can, you know, you can always make slight adjustments here and there, but I think um, just proper positioning is really important and not taking false steps you want to be moving with a purpose out there. Hmm. And, uh, that's and that's something So that's on. something
0: that you'll probably just, no matter where you're working, if you, you know, for however far you make it in pro ball, you eventually you know, might be out of that. And then you're probably working college ball. You're always going to kind of have that with you, you know, and how to evaluate yourself. Uh-huh. Cause that is a big thing. Guys don't always do a good job evaluating themselves. You know, I think they're too easy on themselves sometimes.
2: Absolutely. You know, and I think, if you really want to get better, you really have to be your biggest critic. Cause not yeah. everybody's going to have your interest at heart, you know? Yes. And that's just kind of, that's kind of the downside of, it, of <laughs> I, the job, but it's, you know, it's a reality. Yeah, I agree. I can remember one yeah, time. part of our competitive nature.
0: Bruce, hey, what do you think I need to work on This and that. And What he told me was, you know what you need to work <laughs> on. <laughs> you know? And, and I thought, well, yeah, I do, but yeah, I want you to tell absolutely. me. Too. I like, I don't need somebody to tell me, you know what you got to work on. You know what your weaknesses are more than anybody, you know? It, so yeah, that's true. So just real mm-hmm. quickly. Um, so what were, you know, you were going like seven days a week down at Wendlestat, what kind of stuff were you doing down there? You know, just a real quick kind of overview for guys that don't really know what pro schools like, what was it like down there? So, so every day we started
2: off in the classroom and we would do like three, three and a half, maybe four hours, depending on the, the lecture of rules knowledge. We went through every single bit of the rule book you could imagine from field dimensions to legal glove sizes to—that's got to uh, That's
0: gotta be valuable too. I right mean, down the road we covered yeah. everything.
2: Absolutely, and just like they really pushed rulebook terminology on you, like even in like live games and demos and control games, they really push rulebook terminology on you. So when you do have that coach come out on you, um, you know you're able to explain it to him verbatim by the rule book and you kind of, and they, they said you gain, you gain some respect, especially when they go back and look in the rule book and you're like, that's exactly what he told them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, It's just, a, you know, kind of, it's like a respect factor out there. And you're just, you're trying to gain that trust from those managers the entire time you're working. And then, uh, so you go from the, the classroom and then you'll go out to the fields uh, week one, we call it as students, we call it hell week because you're in formation the majority of the time out there. You're going through out mechanics, safe mechanics, strikes on a right handed batter, you know, strikes on a left handed batter, balls on a lefty, balls on a righty. And you're just, you know, you're building that foundation from the very beginning. So it doesn't matter if you've called the, you know, the World Series in college baseball or if you're never called a pitch in your life. You're going to go out there and you're going to get that same education from, you know, from the very beginning. And they're going to just build, you know, either reiterate or build that foundation for you out there. And then from formation, you'll go into, uh, you'll probably have a demo, just a demonstration on uh, how we're going to conduct our control games for that day. And then control games, it's all instructor, all of our instructors are setting up situations on the field. So, I mean, you're seeing everything from catchers interference to Box with catcher's interference and an infield fly. Um, I mean, they're throwing every they're the one percenters that might happen in your career. They're throwing it at you so you can see it, you know, and maybe it clicks. You know, five years from now, all of a sudden that situation mm-hmm. happens and you just revert back to umpire school, and you come out and you you know you make one hell of a call, yep. and you might even you know a lot of guys get promoted that way. You know, they come out, you, they have that one percenter play, they you know they nail it. And uh yeah, that's awesome. Uh, everybody sees that. And then from con- yep, from control games, you'll have your lunch um and then you'll go right in you know later on in the in the uh, course we ha- started having live games it's Wendlestad is it's great because they're the only school that has live game situations. <laughs> Um, the Academy, they do, um, from what I heard, they do mostly control games, whereas Wendlestat, they'll have live games out there. So they, they get to see your instincts and they get to, you know, they kind of judge you on that and evaluate you on your instincts and your mobility.
0: And, and with the experience, so you
2: know, there. it's kind of beneficial to get out you. there. and Yeah. So. Yeah, I would.
0: Yeah, I would think so. You know. So seven days a week, and then you were studying right. when you weren't on the, on the field and when the sessions were over and everything. And, um yep, so pretty intense. Yeah.
2: And, 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 yeah, it was really intense. And the nice thing about being in Daytona, too, is, like, it's it's easy to yeah. be stuck on baseball. And you, you can get drained, you know, when you're working that much. So, it, it you know, there was, a, you know, a couple Sundays where we'd have off and guys would still go to the fields for, you know, several hours just trying to get some more reps in. Um, a lot of it's footwork, you know, double play footwork, drop steps and whatnot, you know, pause, pause, read and react drills. Uh, we, we, you know, it's something we emphasize on Sundays as a group. And then you could, you know, you could just kind of relax, whether it be you go have a couple of beverages on the beach or uh, you guys want to go get a burger and a beer. Um, you know, it was nice to be able to just get away and just kind of, you know, relax and, get your mind off baseball for a little bit and then come Monday, you know, you're just, you know, reinvigorated and ready to go, so and ready in to go. Edwards, so
0: they gave you like a thousand dollars scholarship. How much um, does it end up kind of costing down there if somebody was looking at doing it?
2: So tuition without, so I did, I, I basically maximized my opportunity trying to save a little bit of money. It's still expensive, but I tried to save uh, a little bit of money. Um, and well not necessarily me personally saving money but i uh it's twenty five hundred dollars for the like the base tuition that's without the housing or the food and then instead of going out and buying meals every single day i I did the uh, mm-hmm. three three a day meal plan and i think and then I did double occupancy room you can do a single occupancy room and it'll cost you a little bit more but I did double it's kind of it's i think it's more beneficial they see that you're willing to work you know Room and live with other guys because that would be maybe from a different culture, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you really don't get the option of who you get to live with, so I think it's beneficial to, you know, kind of get out of your shell and try to meet new guys. Um, and they, I think, you know, it's they they like that, you know, they want to see a guy that's outgoing and willing to get to know other people. And just, you know, being a crew guy is really important. It's one of the biggest evaluations I would say down here is being somebody that these guys want to work with. Um, but overall I'd say, you know, I think it cost me about $4,500 and that was with, uh, tuition, you know, the housing arrangements and then the food arrangements. And then I brought a little bit of money to spend down there just, you know, when we wanted to go out and whatnot. Mm. So I, I would yeah. say probably about 5,000, 5,500. Like if you're going to do, you know, if you're going to go on yeah. excursions so or whatever, just to out and hang out with know, the guys or there something.
0: And try to get a pro job. That's about how much it would be. But if you're just like like an older dude like me yep. and you want to go down there what kind of options are there for guys who just want to kind of get the knowledge and be better at whatever level they're working what do you think
2: so they have they have three there's three programs that you can go down so the professional program is a five week five to six week course depending um depending on the, the year this year it was a little bit shorter um, so the professional course is, the, you know, the course that you want to go to if you're trying to get a job in major or in professional baseball. And then you have, they have the op- option where you can go uh, the first two weeks of the course, which is, I think it's, that's pretty beneficial. Um, it's really beneficial because you get that, that foundation, you, you know, you get out there and they, they teach you everything from the ground up, rotations and everything. Those first two weeks are really, I would say, are pretty beneficial for guys that go down there. And then the second two weeks, you get to experience the control games. The, oh.
0: yeah, no. all right. Well, that's I kind of lost you there for a second, but that's okay, no big deal. Oh. <laughs> so, all right. So, what do you think? Um, what are probably the possibilities as far as where you might be working this this coming season? What do you think?
2: Um, I mean, you you never really know what happens with minor league baseball because there's there's already been a lot of movement um there is the possibility of uh, you know being invited out to uh, extended spring training in april early april and then you could get placed in you know short a but i would say 90 percent of the guys that get hired in professional baseball will go into the rookie league uh, uh, rookie leagues which will either be the gulf coast league down in florida or the arizona
0: league hmm. okay
2: yep so,
0: um, is there one that you kind of prefer? Or you just you're not really caring. What do you? Think? Uh,
2: so I would personally, I've heard some not horror stories about the heat, but it, it like down in the Gulf Coast League, you're dealing with hundred degree temps and you know eighty yeah. percent humidity. I think I would prefer to go to the Arizona League, but a lot of it's based on you know geographics, and I'm kind of like right in the middle, being in Michigan, yeah. so.
1: I'm yeah. I'm going to be happy
2: with, you know, either way, wherever I get to go, I'm, I'll be more than happy with. So, so how, what is your wife and daughter thinking about all this stuff? They have been the rock of this whole, whole deal. My wife, my daughter, and then even my mother-in-law and my parents have really, uh, they've really stepped in and, you know, it's, they've been pushing me to chase this dream ever yeah. since I made the decision. And, uh, you know, I've consulted with every single one of them before I decided to come down here. And they are, uh, I'm really grateful for their support because without them, I don't think I'd be here. You know, this has been a dream of mine for the last four years and every, all the stars kind of aligned the summer. And, you know, after getting to talk to my wife, she's like, you, you know, I I've seen how much you've grown as a person, um, from baseball and from, you know, from your umpiring experiences. And I think, you know, it would be really beneficial for you and possibly one day for our family down the road, um if you know you decided to chase the stream so it was kind of an
0: easy decision when i when she made that comment so that's cool i mean i met you about five years ago and i remember probably about four years ago you were talking about doing it and uh obviously it's a good decision now in hindsight Mm -hmm. because you know you you made it through and you you got a job but even if you wouldn't have it still you know there's nothing wrong with that absolutely but um you know i mean the the thing is too, and, and I you know, you see this in the umpiring world, you know this as well or better than I do, that there's a lot of jealousy that goes on. Mm-hmm. Some guys see what guys get. Hey, they're getting out of assignment, whether it be high school guys or college guys and or that guy's younger than me, or this or that. And and man, you just gotta like be happy for people that they, they accomplish things and um and they're working hard at it because nothing's given to you in this game. I mean, yeah, you, you make connections and maybe you get a couple opportunities, but if you can't if you can't cut it you're not getting it again, you know. You got to earn it. So, I mean, I, I see that stuff with you and, and I know you probably have dealt with that too. I mean, at, yeah, at times with guys. You know? Yeah, I
2: think uh, you know, envy is kind of a career killer. You really have yeah. you, you really have to be a, you know, a crew guy and support one another. And just to, you know, you got to appreciate somebody's hard work too. Um, yep. And, you know, when you when you kind of do some self-reflection and wondering how somebody that might be younger or um, we'll say less experienced based just based on the number of years they worked, how they're getting those games, you know, you might want to just kind of self-reflect and just be like, even talk to them and see what they're doing, you know, kind of take in that knowledge because there's a reason they're, you know, they're, they're getting those assignments and instructors are taking note and you, you know, you never want to get down on yourself, but you know, self-reflection is you know pretty important. What can I do better? What, you know, what do I got to do to get better? Whether it be, you know, cut some weight or, you know, increase my mobility a little bit, whatever it may be, you know. Yep. We, we got to be there for one another. We just got to be a support group for one another. I agree.
0: And not everybody can work every single level. And right. people have to realize their ceiling, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, you, you go as high as you can. I mean, maybe your ceiling gets a little higher if you keep improving, but you got to <clears> realize everybody's got a ceiling. You know, some you know, I, I don't know. Some guys are they're a little bit crazy about what they think they, they can accomplish at times. You know, so you
2: yeah, I think you, you. I think another important factor too is you got to trust the system in the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: You really um, have to trust the
2: process. You know, go to as many clinics as you can, build that network of guys around you, and uh, just trust the process because every, I think everything's going to work out. And you might be in the game for thirty years, and to me whether it's working Little League at thirty years or whether you're working professional baseball for thirty years, that's a successful career. Yes. Being able to you know, being able to maintain that in my eyes is is a successful career. What it doesn't it doesn't matter what level you work, because we're all ambassadors of the game. And yeah. to you know, to be able to promote the game of baseball for thirty years is pretty pretty freaking awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a great game for able to be in it. That's, you know, a great thing to begin with. And, um, you know, the people that you encounter and the stuff that you can accomplish with them. I mean, like, I know you've made some new and and probably long-lasting friends uh, throughout just this process in the last couple of months or so. You know, so stuff that you'll remember for a long time, because that's what I always look at it, you know. Sometime we're all going to be old and not be able to be on the field or do a whole lot. We're going to be sitting in our house, okay, yeah. you want to think back at all the stuff that hopefully you accomplished, whatever level that was, and have good memories about it and the people mm-hmm. that you knew. That's really all we're going to have in the end. I mean, you might get some, you know, medals or I don't know, whatever, something you can put on your wall or something or a baseball or something from something, but still, it's just what you have in your brain, you know. Absolutely. That's the most important thing. So, yep. for sure. Well, you know, I'm lucky that I've been able to work with you on uh, – several occasions over the last few years and we've got some games this year before you uh, take off uh, to work your pro ball and uh, so I'm looking forward to that yeah same here and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me on your your road trip down there in uh, sunny California or sunny, <laughs> sunny Florida. <laughs> Florida about oh, yeah. almost about the same now. so hopefully uh, it's going to be 90 degrees in a couple of days you think, right? So yeah
2: Wednesday it's going to be nice and warm yeah
0: so all right. Well, you have fun down there. And when you get done with the pro season and stuff, uh, I definitely want to have you back on and talk about how that went. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I would love to discuss that. So what was, uh, what, what expectations you had and what was Matt, what wasn't so. Yep. All right, man. Well, you take care. All right. All right. Thank you. I
2: appreciate the call.
0: Yep. Talk to you next time. Bye. See ya. Welcome back to The Hammer. i have got a special interview for this segment with my twin brother, Kirk Weber, who is a person that has some experience with uh, uh, umpires uh, living in Troy, Michigan, in the Detroit area. His uh, daughter plays travel softball, and his son has played travel baseball and uh, is now a high school baseball player in that area. Um, Kirk and I also, um, just as a side note, uh, record a podcast together called Double Take, which is on all podcast platforms, or most of them anyway, uh, which you can check out. We talk about sports and culture and geek out on a variety of things. But anyway, I've got Kirk on here today to talk about umpiring and uh, what he's seen for the good and the bad of umpiring. First, I'll ask you, Kirk, when what do you think makes a good umpire? When you see an umpire in a game that uh, you're watching one of your kids play in, what makes you think, oh, that person's probably a good umpire? Well, there's probably two things that come
3: to mind one is uh just the visual you know I know that you know you don't always want to just judge people by how they look but I think it's important with umpires to come out and look like the part look professional um you know normally the umpires that I see are just uh, you know two people umpiring you know same color shirts stuff like that would be good but most parents don't pay attention to that but I know with having a brother that umpires um and just being a big baseball person that that's a big thing but you know I've seen guys come out wearing shorts when they're umpiring like the bases or even the plate and and obviously that's not matching the other guy you know um I've seen uh, a guy one time that uh spent the whole tournament with his uh, short sleeves rolled up so it looked like he was wearing a tank top because he had pretty good guns on him and he wanted to get some sun on those guns out guns get, out suns out yeah right. and while i appreciate the you know multitasking it looked ridiculous and i oftentimes when i see these things i send you little pictures of things like look at this guy you know um mm-hmm. if you're if you're that guy that is the look at this guy that that is not a good start and then you're you're already you already are i think from my angle, dealing with, you're you're always dealing with the problems that other umpires probably have caused in the past. Most of the time, people don't remember good things. Umpires say they remember the bad. So they previously had a bad experience or something like that. And then they see this, um, that, that just already puts you behind the eight ball. The other thing that I've seen with lower levels, whether it's, uh, U triple S a stuff, or even sometimes in high school, but more, kind of lower stuff is, People just don't know the rules and then they get they think because they're the umpire, they can just yell their way through it or something like that. And I mean, it's not about judgment calls and things. It's, it's more about just know the rules and look the part. That's a great way to start. I probably at any level. I mean, you, you guys are more familiar with that than I am, but that that would be the thing.
0: That we try to do now in modern umpiring and um you know knowing the rules is being in control of a game as well that's definitely very important um you know there's different rule sets that people have to play with but you got to know what you're doing going into a contest you know if you're playing pro rules you're playing federation rules what the dh rule is what the mercy rules are um time limits all those kind of things for the guys that work you know summer ball which most of us do I mean, If you're trying to get better you're, you're working some summer ball so right Yes. So um, have you noticed some differences as far as, you know, uh, from travel ball to high school ball that you see now the last few years here? Well, I do
3: think the umpiring gets better as the as kids get older. Uh, and, and I know I'm talking from a parent perspective, but I guess that's why I'm on. Uh, I do see strike zones change. Uh, they tend to get a little smaller, more particular. Um, and that's not a problem. I mean, you know, I think anybody that's a fan of the game and even though you have your motives, whether you're a coach or a parent, and you're always kind of rooting for your particular player and, and things like that. You just want to see things be fair. Mm-hmm. So like if a strike zone is big or small, just make sure it's being called the same way and make sure that um, it is, especially from a hitter perspective. And I have a son that, you know, pitches, too, but it's got to be hittable pitches you know like these you know times when you're calling stuff that's at somebody's eyes or neck or you know 4 or 5 inches off the plate or skimming across the ground that that is just not fair to anyone and even the other side which won't say anything to you is going to be like yeah that's not really good you well
0: know? they know it's coming their way probably right too, you know
3: so so you know that sort of thing is you know get consistent um have something that is a balance i mean you you want to find a strike zone that is um fair to both sides i'm sure that's what people talk about in camps um and can help the the, especially with amateur players they're they're just trying to no matter what level they're at they're just trying to grow as a player um so if you if you're able to do that um that helps everyone everyone out um so yeah, yeah i would say the strike zone is Kind of the bigger thing I, I tend to see. Um, I, yes. I know with the bigger fields, there are times the way it kind of works in high school, at least around the Metro Detroit area, is you know, guys that have been um, umping longer probably are getting sometimes get some more high school stuff, but sometimes they're a little bit older, not quite as in good a shape, and they have a larger field to deal with, and sometimes that kind of uh you see. How they're they're not getting to position, especially if they're doing the bases, uh, that sort of thing. Um, So I see that occasionally too. But you know we're you know I mean people are sympathetic to umpires. I mean whether it's a hot day in the summer uh, where you're you know want to make sure they're hydrated because a lot of times you're just kind of getting overworked um, for you know tournaments and things like that. Um, And I, I think just when umpires make good calls, you tend to appreciate it because. it's unfortunate, but a lot of times you're only as good as the other people that have been umping, you know, recently for those teams, or sometimes you're only as good as your partner, right? Would that be true? Oh yeah. I mean, if they're messing up, you could be the greatest umpire in the world, but you're going to be blamed too, you know? Um, So they're, you know, these guys are a joke. It's always like a, you know, it's always a collective, right? Or something like that. Well, we are,
0: we are the other team out there. So that's true, you know, (laughs) right. So,
3: yeah, I mean, but I mean, I, I I appreciate, especially, you know, with uh, lesser pay jobs like high school and lower, uh, it's not like college level sorts of things. I know that sometimes you're the glutton of punishment, but on the other hand, um, I appreciate that people come out and and do these jobs. Um, They're, you know, it's, it's not easy, but we, we need more people to keep umpiring because, you know, you can't really have the games without
0: them. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Well, I appreciate you coming on today and giving a little parent perspective. Um, We have a variety of listeners on the show from guys that do Little League and travel tournaments uh, to, you know, high school age and college age and even a few pro guys that listen in. Uh, So it's definitely an interesting perspective. Um, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, they have their own kids and stuff involved in sports and and we always uh, take a look at things. Uh, from an official's perspective, I mean, if I'm watching basketball or football or obviously baseball as well, I'm always seeing what the uh, officials are doing and um, trying to figure out, you know, how things are going for them uh, more than anything else. So I appreciate that. Right. So
3: Yeah. And I'd like to congratulate you. I know you uh, just recently found out that you're going to get to do a Division One non-conference game uh, this this spring. And that's yes. your first attempt at that and i know from you know that's a very exciting thing and a goal of yours and so that'll be that'll be cool i hope i can uh, view it i know it's a midweek game um but you guys normally don't like to talk about where you're going and stuff yeah you
0: know it's it's usually the um you know you shouldn't be you know saying what games you are working you know on social media in particular but you know obviously on a podcast as well but yes um I'm working a non-con game in the spring here in Michigan. Right. <laughs> so right. I'll leave it at that. I mean, I can talk about it more afterward. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm very excited, very honored to do it. Um, you know, okay, is it the highest level game out there? Well, no, but you know what? There's a lot of guys that like to be working it. So I'm very blessed to to get the opportunity to do it. Hopefully I'll, I'll do all right. It's a three-man crew, and I'm going to be working first base. So I'm going to be studying up from now until – April when that happens, um, you know, maybe I'll get lucky and get another one along the way, but yeah, it's been a long arduous process to get to this point. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've worked hard like a lot of guys have and, and, and it's paid off, you know, so I feel very proud that I've been able to do that and hopefully I'll, I'll, you know, represent pretty well all the, I'm, all the guys yeah. that brought me along cause that's really what it is. You know, there's people in your corner that help you out and, promote you and help you get better and um you know it's, it's not just you once you get to whatever level you know whether you're doing a state championship or you're you're doing a division one game or moving up to a d2 i mean i've got some uh, d2 games you know, some non-cons that i have this year too which i haven't had very many of those in the past so that's really exciting as well so right i'm
3: sure you'll do a fine yeah. job you know um, yeah, well thanks so, yeah. and yep congratulations too
0: Yes. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Kirk. And uh, like yeah, I no said, problem. if uh, people want to hear more of us talking about other things other than umpire, and check out uh, Double Take, our podcast that we do together usually once a week. So, yeah. All right. Well, take care, of Kirk, and uh, I'll see you down the road. All, all right. right. Bye. Bye. Well, I've got Kirk Vanderlaan on the show today. Uh, Kirk is a, a college and high school umpire here in the state of Michigan, but he also uh, travels a little bit, uh, he usually goes down to Arizona uh, every, you know, late winter, early spring to do some umpiring. And he was able to do that this year as well. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, welcome to the show, Kirk.
4: Good morning, Kevin.
0: Yeah. So, um, h- hey, how did you get into umpiring? I know you've been doing it for a few years now. What made you decide to to do some umpiring?
4: Actually, uh, a friend of mine, uh, she was actually the umpire director for the the Northview Little League here where actually I live, and she was in dire straits of an umpire, and she knew I knew baseball, so she asked me to do it. I'd never did it before, so, you know, went up to the local Little League field and uh, strapped on the, I think, the equipment they had and, and did a few games, and then from there, uh, just you know, got in in touch with the people that I needed to, to get into high school, uh, did obviously been doing that for, you know, from since the start and then, uh, obviously talked to more people and got into the, uh, the college ranks. So I probably say right now, maybe 60% college, 40% high school. And then obviously now with the whole travel sports, uh, do that throughout the summer also. Yeah.
0: Of course, everybody's about 0% nothing right now. So so each year you, um, you go down to Arizona and do some, um, games down there, some college games, and you've been doing that. How many years you've been doing that now?
4: This was my, my seventh year going down. And that started when I was on a, a ball field in in mid-March. And I know you're familiar with it too. Um, it was actually at Davenport, a turf field. So they pushed all the snow off and, uh, Baseball was being played. I believe it was a Friday evening, which was a little off being at nighttime, but uh, I think it was in the mid thirties and I had about every piece of clothing on I could put on. And I just knew, I'm like, you know what, there's gotta be some baseball somewhere. And I knew it was some guys that were going to Florida. And so I looked into that, but you know, it was the first time where they're like, oh, you maybe get a week or so. I was thinking that's not really cost effective. So I looked up and I still don't know how I did it. I typed in Arizona baseball. And they have same thing out there. Colleges coming on their spring break down to the warm weather to get some baseball in before the season. And I got in hold of some people and got in contact with the umpire directors. And she asked me, you know, do you have a baseball umpire resume? And I'm like, hmm, you know, I got a resume, but not an umpire one. So I had to put that together for um, me and, my, and a friend of mine because she said you need to come down with somebody. It just makes it easy for the hotel part of it. And she's like, how long do you want to come down? I said, well, how long can I come down? She said, as long as you want. It lasts pretty much the whole month of March. Um, I believe there's usually 60 to 80 teams coming down in their spring break, and they come and go. And, you know, they're they're real games, and it's at the old uh, Diamondbacks uh, complex down there. Uh, If you've ever been to a spring training complex, you have the one big field, and then you have all the smaller fields around it. And uh, so it's really convenient being at one place. So that's how it kind of started.
0: Yeah. What um, what big city is that by down there in Arizona?
4: In, yeah, it's in Tucson, Arizona. I believe it originated up in Phoenix uh, with actually it was Russ Matt in Phoenix and then Russ Matt uh, split off and went to Florida and then some new people kind of took over and then they changed the name and brought it down to Tucson because um, if you're not aware, you know, years past, all the teams were kind of everywhere in Arizona and then they all moved up to the, phoenix area so some of these other places were empty so they defined something to do with these big complexes and so the director of the one i go to you know he saw an opportunity to to bring colleges down you know mostly from the west coast or from the midwest upper midwest some east coast teams do come but uh yeah i mean they don't have a chance to play obviously in, in march at home so they need to go somewhere where it's warm
0: yep so you get like maybe um D two, D three, some JUCOs. Um, yeah, there's probably some D ones around there too playing, but
4: uh, yeah, uh, but in, I yep. I don't see any D one. Um, it's pretty much uh, some small D twos, um, and then a lot of D threes, NAIAs, and then uh, some JUCO. A lot of the JUCO is the local JUCO in the Arizona area, but uh, yeah, it's mostly the D two and D three stuff.
0: And some Canadian teams sometimes too.
4: Huh? Yeah, yep. Every once in a while, um, there are some Canadian teams that come down, and uh, so yeah, they actually come down too. So they're not obviously playing up there either. So they need a they need a place to wear the the warm weather and you know green grass. So that's why they come.
0: Yeah. So this year was a little different <laughs> than the other six years. Um, you know, compare like how this year was to previous years with the whole coronavirus thing going down um while you were kind of in in mid games kind of almost <laughs> you know things are going um how many games did you end up working this year compared to other years too so
4: i think i got in 12 games and i usually get between 30 and 40 it's usually one or two a day usually two a day um a couple of nines or maybe a couple of sevens but yeah um It was uh, a lot shortened. Uh, Another wrench that took into place was uh, MLB or the world baseball classic was having qualifying games and they kind of came in and took over the big stadium and uh, a couple of the the other fields. So it was a little bit smaller of a, we'll call it an invitation. So it was definitely less games than years past.
0: Hmm. We're, um, players and coaches and umpires kind of freaking out a little bit about uh coronavirus
4: yeah or... yep. Yeah. it was kind of a day-to-day um everything started out fine I've seen it was it was out there at the beginning of March um but as things built and built and built and you know Major League Sports were getting canceled or, or delayed it got a little bit more serious um and then obviously boom the whole D1 you know obviously March Madness that was kind of the first step Um, That was kind of a big shot to a lot of people. And then obviously D1 spring sports um, uh, got canceled. And then it trickled down. And then a couple of days later, it would be D2. And then it was, you know, you hear the rumors of D3. So we did have a lot of teams that were already there. Um, So we were playing games, but a lot of new teams weren't coming in. uh, Obviously, because their schools were canceling school. So they were asking the teams to come back home. Um, or the teams that were scheduled to go uh, to, uh, to Tucson, you know, obviously weren't. So every day got a little different. It was, uh, you know, it was from one day to, hey, don't let, you know, the kids shake hands at the end of the game, which is kind of a, you know, that's new to us because obviously we always do, you know, let that happen. So it was a kind of thing. And you hear the rumors of, you know, Johnny got sick and they stopped the game. That was a rumor. Uh, but you know, it's just, you had to, I guess, be careful and, you know, watch what you were doing, but it was, you know, no shakings, the coach's hands at the pregame, that kind of thing. So it was every day, it got a little worse and worse. And then finally they just said, you know, Hey, um, if you can get flights home early, go for it.
0: And that's (laughs) what you did. (laughs)
4: Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely came home a little early than expected and you know obviously watching um and you're aware of it too you know your arbiter count and you know every day you're you know more and more games were getting canceled back home so it was it was kind of a the the mood was very down and then you know it was definitely not anything fun yeah yeah for sure
0: so um on a on an umpiring level you're able to try to implement the new timing uh you know protocols that we have now with the twenty-second uh, timer and all that kind of stuff. And you you bought one of the new timers, didn't you? Yeah,
4: yeah. So
0: how did that work out for you?
4: Yeah, that's what's really nice about going to to Tucson early in the season. Uh, it's always you know every year there's always something new. You know the the preseason guidebook always has some you know things of emphasis to to, to work on and what they're looking to improve on the game. And so yeah, this year was the twenty-second. Action clock, not pitch clock, but, you know, it's technically the action clock. So it was mm-hmm. different. Um, I think you really do need to have one of those. Um, I believe, I, I forget, uh, RoughSmart, I believe, is the company that makes it. Um, you can't use a watch. You can't use your stopwatch because you're always looking down. So you're constantly clicking this thing up and down. And it's kind of funny that it is really close to 20 seconds. We end up going to a, a D1 game. Uh, first day we were there, um, I'll usually, you know, catch a Arizona game and they're actually, were playing central Michigan, which was kind of neat to, there was some local kids on the team, but you kind of, we sat there and watched and We did it in our head, you know, 20 seconds and it really does come close. So when I got on the field and started doing it for the first time, it was a little different. Um, it's a lot of, you definitely got to, you know, it's up and down and up and down. So it, it was a little different. I believe my partner did do a, uh. A warning once. Um, I think a lot of people didn't realize what what he did because I don't, you know, a lot of the fans don't know what those rules are. Um, I, a lot yeah. of the coaches are aware of it. Um, I don't see it, maybe, I don't know, I don't see it being a big thing like it's really going to improve the game. It's just my opinion on making it go quicker. Um, I think there's some flaws in it that I think they've realized um, after, you know, every day you get something new email wise telling you, hey, do this, do that. So I think it was – it's something new. Maybe it will help improve the the speed of the game, but uh, obviously we'll have to wait and see now.
0: Yeah, for sure. One of the things – I've been watching some of the old old games that they're showing on TV, you know, from like the 70s or whatever. Um, And guys stay in the box all the time there. And I know we have our rules. We're trying to keep guys in the batter's box, but you don't have all these – you know, Major League guys back in, you know, 1978 stepping out of the box and things, you know, pitcher gets the ball, he gets a sign, he pitches, you know, it's just like, there's just more pace of that way. And we've, in all levels of baseball, we seem to have lost that, you know?
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely going to be usually, you know, the pitcher is pitching too quick and you have to slow him down because he just wants to roll, roll, roll and not give the hitter the the chance to even get set. So, Usually, that's always, I think that's been a bigger problem in that guy going too slow. So, yeah, it's different. It's going to be interesting. Um, hopefully, if, it, if we do get back to baseball, which I know we will, um, I think it's got to be everyone I think needs to have it and do it the same way and the right way so that, you know, hey, they didn't do it this way there, or we were over there and they didn't yeah. do it this way. That's going to be the issue, just like every other uh, new thing that comes up that we have to, you know, work on. So, I think if it's consistent, we'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, for sure. I mean, we got to have consistency for sure. You can't have that Lone Ranger guy out there doing his own thing or whatever. Do you have any crazy games out there? Anything, anything that kind of stood out? Or
4: uh, Yeah, um, actually, being in the field, uh, I, uh, I know it's happened to all of us, but, uh, yeah, a line shot. I was in the B position, and a line shot off an aluminum bat with college baseball uh that ball travels very fast and uh I jumped out of the way but it ended up catching me in the the bottom of the foot the top half of the foot on the outside and that was no fun um a little giggle out of it after I got up you know and you're embarrassed uh, everybody clapped Mm -hmm. for me that was nice but you know the coach kind of comes over and you know you're all right and you know I you know my partner was asking if they had a trainer most schools have trainers and he's like oh no no she didn't make it this trip but uh and he kind of giggled to my partner saying, oh, that was a, that would have been an easy double play. And it would have been, it was right at the second baseman. And, uh, it's unfortunate that he did score some runs and then obviously that team lost. So it was a, you know, definitely kind of a funny thing. And, um, I did get an X-ray and it came out negative, but, uh, you definitely, uh, you know, the higher you go up in, in, in baseball, the, the ball does go quick. So you do have to always keep your eye on the ball. That's for sure.
0: Hmm. Did you make the proper ruling on it?
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. After I got up, uh, everyone did it did what they needed to do, and uh, it's it's just it's part of the game, and we are part of the game. So, but yep. uh, it's just it's you definitely you know, you know I say I want to protect my you know, I want to protect my face and that kind of thing. But uh, being six four yep. that I am, you know, jumping out of the way, I got a big long body, and it you know it caught me. But uh, they said it was traveling pretty quick and, and I don't think anybody would have got out of the way of that thing. So, yeah, so you definitely do have to be careful out there. But uh, yeah, other true. than that, no, I just, uh, you know, like I said, uh, this year was just definitely different. Um, the, the whole mood of it, uh, you know, everybody having it in the back of their head. And then obviously every day something new and, and obviously, you know, social media and the news every day you hear about something. And so it was definitely a different trip, obviously coming home early. Um, wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, but it was probably the best, uh, you know, and obviously they ended up canceling the, you know, the rest the teams weren't showing up, so they just canceled, you know, the rest of the invitational. So definitely, yeah. uh, you know, looking forward to it next year and, and then, you know, it's just one of those years. So, we, you know, we'll get through it yeah. and, and hopefully we're all back on the field real soon.
0: Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> we'll see here. I mean, I'm hoping maybe by you know, May that we can get back on the field in some capacity, but I don't know. We'll see how it goes. You know, maybe late April. We're waiting here in the state of Michigan to see what they rule. They haven't canceled everything yet. They're probably going to wait till April to make a decision, but it should be nice at least get half the season in and get on the ball field, you know?
4: Yeah. So I think if we end up not having high school, I think if we do end up having summer ball, I think summer ball is going to be pretty busy. I think, you know, your, your true baseball players, they're going to want to get out, play, Mm-hmm. So I think there might be a big increase in, in travel sports and, and uh, more kids wanting to play instead of taking a whole, you know, almost a whole year off. Yeah. So. yeah,
0: They'll probably add some tournaments or add some other games and stuff. They're going to try to get as much, much in as they can, I'm sure. So, which I guess would be good for us umpires. Cause you know, guys would be wanting to try to recoup some of the money that they lost. You know?
4: So, yeah, that is uh, yeah that definitely happened. So it's, it's a, uh, so, it's an interesting situation. um just, you know, hoping we'll get through it. And it's just, you know, some things just aren't in our hands to, to handle. So, we just got to go with the flow.
0: Yep, that's right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show here today, Kirk. Well, oh, thank you. Um, and uh, giving us your perspective from what was going on down there in Arizona. I'm sure some guys will find that interesting. All right. All right. All right. I'll talk to you. All right. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Kev. Take care. Yep. Yep. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the four interviews that we had here in this episode. Uh, next week I'll be back with some uh brand new content. I got a few things lined up, trying to work my way into a, a couple of uh guests for the show. Uh you you know might have noticed that we have a new sponsor. Um, usually for Anchor. Uh they kind of um sponsor all the podcasts on their platform uh, themselves and then they try to look for uh, sponsors to pair up with different podcasts and my anchor sponsorship for whatever reason had run out like last week and they paired me up with uh, a new sponsor um, earn your leisure podcast which they seem like um, a decent group you know they're just trying to give you know financial advice through their podcast so feel free to check them out if you want to I'm always looking for any kind of sponsors. I I don't really make any money on this podcast, um, except for like a, a few cents here and there that um, I get if somebody listens to it. But it doesn't really add up to too much. It let's just say it doesn't pay any bills. <laughs> okay, I, I do this because I like to. I like to talk about the the umpiring world and what's going on, and um, I feel that there's a niche for that. So I'm just pr- trying to provide that for for the umpires out there in the country and um, also around the world. I'm hoping we get back to some normalcy maybe by June. I have no idea if we will. I'm hoping here in Michigan that we can play some baseball here. Um, The uh, travel league that I signed for is hoping to start playing the first week of June. The summer collegiate league that I do a few games for um, has postponed their season until the beginning of July. So I had some games on my schedule in June, which I'm sure will be canceled soon. And uh, hopefully they will get those in. I mean, you know, there's a couple of teams in the league that are in Ohio, two or three of them, I believe, that have decided not to play in 2020. But the team here in Muskegon, which is about 40-minute drive from my house, um, is planning on playing. And so if they do, it's kind of nice to get in some of that little bit higher level ball than I might uh, get for, you know, travely kind of stuff around the area. But, you know, at this point, I'm just like you guys. I'll take whatever the heck I can get because, you know, it's been a rough go. And, you know, like like everybody, man, we're missing we're missing baseball. I'm, I'm missing watching it on TV. I'm missing going to minor league games, maybe a pro game. And I'm certainly missing being on the baseball field and, um, you know, trying to do the best job I can to officiate a game and, uh, also just the camaraderie of, of the partners I get to work with and the people in the umpire community. We've, we've been kind of, it's like, a you know, a distant relationship now, you know, you might text somebody, uh, I had a zoom meeting the other day with a couple of umpires. We were talking about some stuff for the area, which was pretty cool, but usually man just there's always something going on so even the problems that we have to deal with those would be nice to have right now but you know we just got to hang in there and uh hopefully the tide will turn sooner rather than later um and until then all of us all we can do is just keep calling strikes